As a church, we're in the season of legacy. That's what the video was all about, realizing that we have the opportunity to live a life much bigger than ourselves. We have a life that can live on beyond our life, in other words. And the way I like to think about it is, is to really make a difference. You have to make a difference in things that are going to last forever. Let me put it like this. How much of what you did this week really, really is going to matter a million years from today? I mean, think about that. What did you do this week that really is going to matter a million years from today? You see, living a life of legacy, we get to be a part of impacting eternity because the only thing that lasts forever is us as people. The reality is you are an eternal being. You are going to live forever somewhere, and there's only two options, and you get to live forever. And so for me, I want to invest my life in things that are going to make a difference millions of years from today. And that's what this team is all about. Every weekend, we get together as a church. And throughout the week, we get together as a family, and we make a difference. There are people, uh, I hear the stories, who found Jesus in this church, meaning their forever is going to be changed because of the people of this dream team, because of people serving in the parking lot, because of people serving in the cafe, because of people taking care of our children down at Coastline Kids. There are people who their forever is being changed because of that. So there are things in this life that we get to be a part of that make a lasting difference that really is going to matter a million years from today. And that's what legacy is all about. That's this concept, legacy. And we just feel like as a church, every fall, we need to take some time and we need to think about legacy. We need to think about the life that we live. We need to think about what we're building in the future and the difference that we are making. And so as a church, we invest in different areas of legacy. One of the things we do every fall, uh, you've heard us talking about it for a number of weeks, is we have our annual legacy offering that we begin next week, where people will give over the next few weeks uh, to a lasting legacy. And it's an offering that traditionally we give it all away uh, outside of ourselves through what we're doing nationally and what we're doing globally, what we're doing in this region from Los Angeles down into the Baja area of Mexico this year. We felt like God wanted us to invest all of it into our new children and youth building, and I'll talk more about that in a moment. But I really want to help you understand some things, because I get the fact that when you talk about money in church, people get very uncomfortable, and so I want to help you understand our thought process a little bit on this. We believe as Christians uh, that tithing is the way you provide for a church, but we also believe it's very biblical to give offerings. And so every year, once a year, we have an opportunity for us to give above and beyond our tithe. So this offering is above our tithe. It's, it's what we do beyond our tithe to leave a legacy, to, to, to build something that is going to live beyond ourselves. Now, when I became the pastor of this church eight years ago, when they've asked me to, when they invited me to come and lead this church, my wife and I, when we moved here, we made some decisions about money. I wanted to do things personally a little different than the way I grew up. I don't know about you, but I grew up in kind of the, the we called it the, the, the crazy charismatic 80s and 90s of Christianity, you know, television preaching, where, to be very honest, when it came to any messages on money that we saw on TV and even in a lot of churches, they were very abusive. They were very manipulative. It was like, give today and all of your debt is going to be paid off next week. Like, supernaturally, your debts are going to be wiped out. Credit card companies are going to call you and cancel everything if you just give to my ministry. And that's what I grew up in. And, and to be very honest, I, I felt it was very abusive. It was very manipulative. And we made a decision that as a church, we were not going to handle money that way. 
Uh, one of the commitments I made is we're not ever going to be involved with gimmicks or slick fundraisers or campaigns or show you, you know, sad videos that pull at heartstrings and kind of emotionally manipulate you to do different things. It was just a decision we made that when it came to money, we were simply going to demonstrate integrity. We're going to demonstrate responsibility. We're going to demonstrate that that. Our giving makes a difference. It makes an impact. We were going to be responsible. Uh, we were going to be frugal, and we were going to make a difference and be generous. And we just decided that. And so we did some things differently. A few months after I became the pastor, one of the things that we changed is we got rid of the offerings and service. So you don't, you know, in the middle of church, you don't see the buckets coming around or the plates coming around. Because I honestly feel like when you give and when you tithe, that's an act of worship between you and God. That's something, and that's why I always encourage people who are part of our church family, when they tithe, do it during your morning devotions. It's the most powerful time to do it. Let it really be an act of worship. Let it be part of your devotional life, because that's what it is. We don't give to a church. We give through a church. That's what legacy is all about. One of the other things we did right away is, and we don't have to do this. This is not required uh, by law of us, but one of the things that, that I actually required of us is every year our trustees hires an outside independent accounting firm to do a full audit of our church finances. We do that every single year. And then when the audit is finished, we put it right on our website. So you can go to our website right now and look at the 2017 audit. You can download it. Uh, we make it available because we have nothing to hide. I, I feel very confident in how we spend money around here. Uh, I feel like we handle every penny wisely, and we maximize it, and we use it to make a difference in the life of people. So we just decided we're going to do things differently. And so when we do offerings, uh, you've heard us talk about this for a few weeks. Here's why. Paul says in Corinthians, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Well, you don't have time to decide in your heart if we spring it on you with a sad video and, and really you know, ramp it up emotionally the week of the offering. In fact, next week, I'm not even talking about the offering uh, in the message. I have a whole message that God put on my heart about discouragement, how to deal with discouragement in this season, because I believe that we should decide ahead of time. Like it, We don't need to be emotionally moved or manipulated or, or have sad videos pulling at our heart. We just need to decide ahead of time. We need to have time to pray, to seek God, and decide what God would have us do. Because as always, we're not asking you to give a penny in the legacy offering. We're simply asking you to pray and ask God. And don't listen to me and don't obey me. Obey God. Just do what God puts on your heart. Decide. And when you give, don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. So don't give if you felt manipulated to give or if you felt compelled to give. We want you to have plenty of time to pray so that you can get rid of all the compulsion, all the manipulation, all of the, the reluctance, and here's why God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when we give cheerfully. God, when we decide ahead of time, and we don't feel compelled, and we don't feel reluctant about it, it's very easy to come and say, God, I offer this to you, and I do it cheerfully, and I do it gladly, and I'm, I'm excited to give this to you. And so this year, we feel the, the legacy offering needs to invest right into our children's and kids' building and our student building that we're building, breaking ground on next year. And, and here's one of the reasons. Solomon says a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, and we believe it's time to invest in our children. It's time to invest in their future. Thank God for the temporary building that we have right now, and we've used it to the best of our ability, but we can do better. We can do better. We can build something more honoring to the children and the students of our community 
and do something that'll leave a legacy. Because here's the thought. Think about the families who are going to get saved because of that building. Think about the families that are going to find hope in Jesus because of that building. There are a lot of people, whenever you build a new children's building in a community like this, people come to church for the first time because they check it out. Imagine the marriages that are going to be restored, the, the lives that are going to be changed through building a building like this, not just next year, but the year after and the year after and the year after. This is one way we can leave legacy. And again, it's not about a building, it's about people. It's about people that that building can be utilized to serve and make a difference. So we've been make, meeting with the architects in the city of Carlsbad throughout this year. We're very net close now to getting all of the permits approved and signed off so that we can begin construction next year. So here's the strategy. Uh, it's going to be an $8 million project, $8 million. We're going to finance $4 million of it. Uh, we very comfortably can, can finance 50% of the project. The way we handle our money is we don't spend more than 30% of our expense budget on facilities. That's landscaping, that's debt service, that's insurance, that's everything. Well, if we added $4 million today to our existing uh, debt, we, we, we currently own $2 million on this entire property. If we made it $6 million today, we would still be under 30% today, not even talking about in the future, but just today. We would be under 30%. So we feel very comfortable about financing 50% of the project. We right now have $2.5 million in the bank for this project, which means we're believing God this legacy offering to see $1.5 million so that we can secure the construction loan and break ground on this property early next year. Now, the truth is you've already given generously to this project. You know, for those of you that don't know, we, we operate this church on about 70% of your giving and your tithe. That's, that's what, because we, we've just made a decision that every year we're going to budget less money than we expect to receive, and then we're going to spend less than we budget. So you've already significantly given to this project. That's where the 2.5 million has already come from. But we also believe that everyone needs an opportunity to give above and beyond their tithe every year. It's part of Christianity. So how can you participate? Well, as always, we're not asking you for anything other than to pray. If you're part of our church family, just pray. Just pray. And don't, don't follow us. Follow God. Whatever God puts on your heart to do, decide, pray, decide, and then meet the criteria. It needs to be willing and it needs to be cheerful. That's, that's kind of the criteria that God sets for giving. He wants you to be willing about it, and he wants you to be cheerful about it. And if you meet the criteria, then by all means, participate this month, and let's see a miracle take place. And I really believe God's going to do something uh, incredible through our effort and through our energy, and we're going to see something that we can honor this community, honor the children of our church, and honor the people who are not yet a part of our church and really see something amazing take place. So that begins next week. Um, I know some of you have already jumped the gun and have already begun giving legacy offerings, and that's fine. And some people have transferred stock and all different ways of giving. So there's a lot of creative ways to give. We just believe that this is going to be a great season, and this is the next step for our church. So, so you understand the partnership between us and God. God decides what the next step is. We've, we've prayed, we've sought God, and we really believe this is God's vision for our church. God's next step for Coastline is building this building for our children. Now, if you talk to a church consultant, they'll tell you that's the wrong strategy. They'll tell you when you're running five services a weekend and they're full, you know, you don't want to build another children's building. You need to build a bigger worship space so you have more people. Then you can pay for the children's building. 
And I thought about it, and to be very honest with you, I only need about three feet by three feet to do my job. So I've got plenty of room. <laughs> and if we need to go to six, seven, eight services a weekend, I'm prepared to do that. I really feel like the next step is our children, and that's where we need to invest as our children. So the way the partnership works is God sets the vision and the direction of our church. You get to decide how quickly we accomplish it. We're not going to obligate you financially and then put ourselves in a position where I've got to get up here and pressure you for money and manipulate you for money because we've already obligated you. We're simply going to move at the speed of your generosity. That's how it works. So God decides what the next step is. You decide how quickly we get there. And that's how this operates. So this is what we're going to do next. Uh, we believe it's going to be in the very near future, but if we need to slow it down a little bit, we're prepared to slow it down a little bit. But I really feel like this is the next step for us. So this is one area of legacy, but it's not just in what we give. It's how we live our life. It's how we serve. So another area during this legacy season that we encourage you to be a part of is what we call random acts of kindness. We have these cards available at our info center, the little business cards. And I would encourage every single person today to get a stack of these, keep them in your wallet, keep them in your purse, and use them specifically during this window that we have before Christmas. Why? Between Thanksgiving and Christmas, research tells us that more people in America will commit suicide between Thanksgiving and Christmas than all other 11 months combined. I don't think people have more problems during the holidays. I think they feel them more. Something about the holidays that accentuates everything going on in your life. These cards can literally save a life this season. I mean, you have no idea if that person standing in Starbucks is hanging on by threads and a little card with a, with a cup of coffee could literally change their future. Or somebody at a drive-thru and just paying for the person behind you and giving the card to the cashier or, or randomly picking a restaurant and anonymously buying their dinner and leaving the waitress or waiter a card to give that table. You have no idea what's going on in their life. But when somebody gets a card like this and all it says is something extra to show you God loves you, it just tells that person, God knows who you are. God hasn't forgot about you. God's thinking about you. And it could literally change their future and change their life. We get emails all the time uh, from those of you that have used these cards in our community and, and the stories that we've heard are incredible. So I encourage you to pick up a stack of these today. Another opportunity is obviously Christmas at Coastline. You heard Emma talking about that coming up in a couple weeks. We are 40 kids away from every single child being sponsored with toys and presents. So you can stop by the table today. We have over 60 kids sponsored now. So you could stop by and find out how you could be a part of that. And we're working with Camp Pendleton, the chaplains. They're providing us a list of names. But let me just say this. There may be military families in our church that, that you... you Either you are in this season or you know somebody in our church in the military who would really benefit from this event, but for whatever reason, they're not on the radar of the chaplains at Pendleton. Please let us know who they are. We don't want anyone in our church family to miss out on this because they, for whatever reason, aren't on the radar of the chaplains at Pendleton. We're, we're working with them, but if there is somebody in our church family, we want to make sure we take care of them also. So please email us. Please let us know. One of the things we learned from the chaplains this week, and they were very grateful, they said there's a lot of nonprofits and there's a lot of ministry that happens for veterans. He said there's very, very little that happens for active duty people. And anyone of you that have ever been in the military and you've been low rank with a wife or a husband and, and young children, you know those low rank salaries don't go very far during this season. And so I, I think, yes, we want to serve veterans, but we also want to take care of those who are, who are giving their life right now actively uh, serving. 
and make sure those that, that you know, these, this is a struggle season are taken care of and provided for. Another opportunity is our Christmas Eve services. For whatever reason, Christmas Eve is now becoming as popular as Easter, and there are a lot of first-time visitors. We set up strategic times throughout the year where, for you, it's just an easier opportunity to invite somebody to church at the movies is one of those seasons, and I want to thank you for aggressively you know, bringing people during that season. I met so many people who visited our church for the first time last month and just walked out with tears and said, I have a renewed hope. I have a renewed faith about you know, life and Jesus and, and my future. And you just were awesome last month in bringing people and introducing them to that hope. Well, Christmas Eve is another one of those opportunities where it's just easier than any other time of the year to invite somebody to church. So we are doing seven identical Christmas Eve services this year. We, uh, we're going to start them on Saturday night, run them all day Sunday, and all day Monday. Now, if you're part of our church family and you're not personally inviting somebody or bringing somebody with you, we would ask you to consider the Saturday or Sunday services because a lot of the first-time visitors we know will be here on Monday. That's what they're going to be thinking is Monday, the actual Christmas Eve. And so if you're part of our family and you don't have somebody coming with you, consider one of the Sunday or the Saturday night services. They're all going to be identical. So there's a number of opportunities we have to leave a legacy. You know, Christmas Eve is going to be a special time because there's a lot of people that are going to receive the greatest gift of Christmas, which isn't anything under a tree, which is Jesus. And that's what we design our Christmas Eve services for. And it's going to be a musical special with, you know, God really has laid a, a message on my heart for Christmas Eve that I'm very, like, I wish I could do it today. I'm that excited about this message. I know I've got to wait a couple weeks but I really wish I could do it today. It's all on the Christmas truce of 1914 when, you know, remember World War I, trench warfare, 20 million people died and very little was accomplished. And it was all because of the battle strategy of trench warfare. Well, that's America today. I mean, that, that's where our nation is right now. We, we are, it's trench warfare. People are so dug in uh, racially, politically, even marriages. People won't even give an inch to see the other side's point of view. And that's what we saw in World War II, except for Christmas Eve, when, when the French and the German soldiers got together, and they called a truce, and they stopped killing each other for one night, and they threw a party, and they celebrated Christmas. They were all Christian. They celebrated Jesus. They sang Silent Night. Only Jesus could bring you together. I'm telling you, politics isn't going to fix America. Jesus is going to fix America. And so it's going to be a powerful Christmas Eve service. I'm excited about that. All right. I want to get into a message today to help you understand the why behind legacy, because I think it's very important that you not just understand the concept of it, but you understand why this is so important to the Christian life. And what I want to, I want to share with you today, it's not going to be a long message, but it's going to be a bedrock message of our church. It really is one of the keys to Christianity. It's one of the, the most important messages you will hear on really understanding how to unlock Christianity and make it work. And here's the concept, here's the thought, here's why uh, I want to go this direction today. The truth is, most people who go to church today, most people who are doing Christianity today are following God the wrong way. They're serving God the wrong way. They, 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 they're faithful. They, they're, some of them are week after week people, but they're doing it wrong. What do I mean? Most people are serving God out of a sense of obligation instead of a sense of passion. They're serving God from a position of, I have to do this because I don't like the alternative, 
than from a position of, this is, this is a joy of my life. This is a passion of my life. This is what I want to do, not just what I have to do. Let me give you an example. Most people today who pray, they pray, but they really don't enjoy prayer. They're just doing it because they feel like they have to pray. You're like, I'm a Christian, so I'm supposed to pray every day, so let me just get it out of the way so I can move on with the rest of my day. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are a lot of people today who read the Bible every day, but it's not, they're not reading the Bible because they enjoy it. They're reading the Bible because they feel obligated. Well, the pastor said I need to read the Bible every day, so I'm going to, you know, let me, let me get this five, ten minutes out of the way so I can move on with the rest of the day. And they read the Bible, but they're not getting anything out of it. It's not a joy. It's not a passion. It's an obligation. It's something they feel like they have to do. And we see that a lot in Christianity, in serving and giving, in all these different areas where, where it's not a joy. It's, it's not something we long for. It's something we feel obligated to do. And what happens is it creates a religious version of Christianity that doesn't work, where people, they're serving God, but they're not enjoying the ride. Some of you understand this. Some of you have been in church for a while. And you look around, and you know there's people around you, and you see the light on. Like, like, like they look like they actually enjoy this. Like, when I, you know, they shake their head when I say certain things, and you're looking, I'm like, why are they agreeing with that? Like, like I don't get it. Like, but they look like they actually enjoy what I'm talking about. They actually enjoy this Christian life thing. They actually enjoy the prayer thing and the Bible thing. And you're sitting there figuring out, it's like, I don't get it. Like, this isn't enjoyable for me. Like, I'm doing it because I don't like the alternative of where I'm going to go forever if I don't, like, get in. So I'm going to do it, and I feel obligated to do it. And I know I have to do it, but I'm not really getting anything out of it. Is this resonating with anyone? See, that's the problem. See, for me, I don't have to read my Bible every day. I actually look forward to waking up in the morning because I get to read my Bible. Because it breathes life into me. I get wisdom and life and direction, and it really speaks to me. Like, I don't have to pray every day. I actually enjoy spending time with God. Like, like it's a joy of my life. It's not something I have to do. It's something I really, I, I want to do. I get to do it. It's, it's, it's God's it's a, it's a relationship, in other words. That's why we say God doesn't want to be a religion. He wants to be your father. He's building a family. This is actually one of the primary reasons why we do Freedom Small Groups as a church. Like, if you've never done a Freedom Small Group, I can't encourage you enough this spring to, to sign up and do one because the primary purpose of freedom is to pull all of the religion off of Christianity so that you can see it the way Jesus originally intended it to be before we messed it up. I mean, no, like we took something really beautiful that Jesus started and we made it difficult and we made it ugly and we made it hard and we made it very religious. And that's why a lot of people aren't enjoying it because they're not following what Jesus started. They're following what we turned it into. And so every once in a while, we got we to stop and we got to kind of get the religion off of it so we can get it back to where it was meant to be so that we actually enjoy this thing. That's why we say as a church, you don't have to do anything around here. If you're a part of Coastline, let me just make it clear. You don't have to give. You don't have to tithe. You don't have to serve. You don't have to be on the dream team. You don't have to pray. You don't have to read the Bible. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to. You get to. And, and, and if you have to do it, there's something wrong with your relationship. Because we don't have to do it. We want to do it. We get to do it. Why? Because we know how much God loves us, and we enjoy that relationship, and we're so in love with him, and he's so in love with us that it's not a chore. It's not a response. It's not a duty. It's a delight of our life. And that, that's the goal. That's the heart. That's, that's honestly what my dream, 
My dream is to lead a church full of people who say, I can't wait to bring somebody far away from God to a Christmas Eve service. Like, I'm looking forward to who I'm going to invite right now. Like, I'm thinking about who I, I can't wait to do it. I can't wait to give. I can't wait to serve. I can't wait to get to my dream team every week because I know I get to be a part of a team that is making a difference. That is the heartbeat. Giving back to Jesus for what Jesus has given to This is the goal of Christianity. This is what makes Christianity work. Now look, I know that there's a place for obedience. I get that. I know there's a place for self-control. I know there's times where I don't always feel like doing it and I got to exercise a little bit of self-control. And exp- That's fine. That's good. But, but the goal is don't stay there. If you stay there, Christianity is going to be very, very difficult. Thank God we have self-control for when we need it, but the goal is not to live there. Like one of the things we say in freedom week number one is temptation is not a test of your self-control, it's a test of your relationship. Let me put it like this, when my wife and I are close and like we're getting along and and everything's really good at home and, and, and it's wonderful, I don't care who walks in front of me, I'm not interested. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's not a temptation when my relationship is where it needs to be. And that's the way Christianity is supposed to work for you. You see, when you're where you need to be with God, it's really not a temptation. Why? Because you don't have a desire for it. You don't have an appetite for it. It's not something you want to do. You're getting to do what you want to do. So the goal of Christianity is not to exercise self-control. Thank God we have it when we need it. The goal of Christianity is to be in such a relationship where our desires and our wants are in alignment with him. That's when this thing gets very, very enjoyable. God wants you to enjoy him. Paul put it like this, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. See, God wants you to live a want-to life, not a have-to life. God's not giving you an obligation. He's not giving you a duty. He's not giving you a bunch of commands. No, he's giving you a desire. He's creating in your heart this willing want-to spirit, and that's what I want to show you today. I want to show you the the joy of it all, the the want-to, the willingness of it all. Let me me show you an offering that took place in the Old Testament in Exodus. This was an offering for for the house of God, very similar to kind of a legacy offering type thing we, we see today. It says, everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing. That's the goal. That's the goal this month, is to see people, their hearts are stirred about it, and their spirit is willing. They're not doing it because they feel obligated to do it, because they feel compelled. No, they're doing it because their heart is stirred, their spirit is willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, this principle applies to every area of Christianity, but let me show you one more. This here in Chronicles, what King David gives in this offering, historians tell us was the single greatest act of philanthropy in the history of the world. When you, when, when you get the equivalent in today's terms, what King David gave was $21 billion in today's currency. I mean, crazy offering that he gave. It says, moreover... This is King David speaking. Because I have set my affection on the house of my God. If King David had Twitter, this is what he would have put. Hashtag, I love my church. (laughs) That's the Twitter version of the Bible. That's what David's saying. He says, I love my church, hashtag. So because I love my church, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared. You see, there was a requirement. So what David is saying is, I've already met the requirement. I've already met the expectation. What I'm doing now, this offering I'm giving, is over and above the requirement. It's over and above the expectation because I love my church. 
So he says to the people, now who is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord? So he asks the people. Then the leaders, so all of the leaders, they get together, the families and the officers and the commanders of thousands and hundreds and the officials in charge of the king's work gave, when they saw the willingness of the king, it created a willingness amongst the people. They gave toward the work of the temple of God. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had freely given and wholeheartedly given to the Lord. David the king rejoiced greatly. This is the goal. And then I love what he says down in 17. He says, all these things, David says, have I given willingly. Isn't it interesting that this word willingly is included so much in this chapter? I mean, no, this chapter could have been easily written without the word willingly. It could have been they gave this and they gave that and then the people gave this and then the king gave that. But God intentionally adds the word willingly all throughout the chapter. That's, that's not an accident. Every word in the Bible is there intentionally. So God wants you to understand they didn't just give, but they gave willingly because it's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Can you imagine being a part of a church like this? Being a part of a community where people live the hashtag, I love my church. People live the, you know, I love investing in children. I love helping orphans in Mexico. I love serving our active duty military. I just love being a part of all of this. Now, why is this so important? Because this is what God's looking for. Look what the New Testament says. Paul says, if the willingness is there, remember the word willingly? If the willingness is there, then the gift is acceptable. What is God saying? If you're not willing, it's probably better that you don't give it. Because what makes the gift acceptable is a willingness. God is looking for a willingness. Why? Because he loves cheerful givers. So hopefully you'll understand this concept of God. God doesn't want you to just be a giver. God is looking for willing givers. He's looking for a willing. So the question is, how do we, how do we become willing? How do I have a heart like that? How does my heart become, because that's not natural for me. So how, how does my heart become willing? Well, it's all about understanding the why, remembering the why. Let me put it like this. When I lose my why, I'll lose my way. And this is true in every area of my life. If I forget why I married my wife, I'll lose my, like if you're having marriage trouble, it, it's very likely you forgot why you married them in the first place. Like you, you're not remembering the why. Some of you dread going to work Monday morning. You don't remember the why. You don't remember that there was a time you prayed for that job. There was a time you begged God, and now you're dreading going. Why? You forget, you forget the why. You forget the way. Some of you are serving God. You forgot the why. You forgot the why. So what I want to do is answer the why today, the why we serve, the why we care, the why we give, because when you remember the why, you'll be motivated about the way. So the title today is We Get to Give. We don't have to give. We get to give. It's an honor. It's a joy to give. And so what I want to do is I want to give you some reasons why. And these are my reasons. You can write your own reasons down later. Like I would encourage you to go home, make a list. I mean, I actually have about 25 reasons. I'm just going to give you five today. But you should make your own list why. Here's number one. We get to give because Jesus gave to us first. That's why we get to give. I mean, this fires me up. Realize God sent his son. That one time God goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want you to give all this up. Think about this. Jesus, I want you to give all of this up. I want you to forsake all of this. All of this beauty, all of this luxury, living in heaven, living in paradise, 
I want you to give all of this up and I want you to go down to this place called earth where you're going to be mistreated, you're going to be abused, they're going to torture you, they're going to put you on a cross and you're going to die all in hopes that this guy down here named Aaron one day might give you his heart. I've never forgotten that, to be very honest with you. So I never forgot what it was like that day when God took all of my sin and all of my past and everything I'm ashamed of and he forgave it and made my life as white as snow. How many of you rejoice every day in your salvation? Like, how often do you remember what you've been saved of? How often are you just grateful for the fact that you are saved, grateful the fact that you have a relationship with God? So I think too often we forget the why and we lose our way. We, we, we forget what we've been saved from. We, just, we, take it, we take our salvation for granted instead of living with a gratefulness for what Jesus has given to us. Matthew 10 says, you have been treated generously. God treated us generously. God gave us extravagantly. He gave his son. Jesus gave his life. So live generously. See, this is the key. When you see how much has already been given to you, it's easy to live a generous life. We get to give number two because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And this word blessed in the Greek, when you study, when Jesus said this in Acts 20, it means makarios. Makarios literally translated as happy. Here's the cool thing about God. God says, okay, this is how I want you to live your life. I want you to give. And then God says, I'm actually going to program the human body. I'm I'm going to hardwire into your DNA that when you do this command, it's going to make you happy. How many of you, like, you know, there's people in your life that you really love, you really care about, maybe children, maybe a spouse, and and you're just like, you know, randomly at the mall one day, and you just, you see something that you know they would love, and you just buy it for them. How many of you just feel miserable when you do that? (laughs) Like, I just love this person so much, but this is, I just hate buying this thing. No. It makes you happy, doesn't it? Why? God designed you that way. The cool thing about God is he gives you a command, and then he programs you to enjoy it when you obey it. I mean, that's that's just amazing that God would have that love and care for us. It says in Acts 20, I love the way it puts it in the message, you'll not likely go wrong here if you keep remembering that the master said you're far happier giving than getting. It's so true. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get, We make a life by what we give. So I would encourage you, if you're discouraged this season or if you're down or if you're feeling it, go grab a stack of those random acts of kindness cards and go bless some people this week. I promise you, you'll feel better. I promise you, you'll like it. It's the way God designed you. It's the way God wired you. Here's the third reason. We get to give because I'm in covenant with God and with you. Now, this one's huge, and not a lot of Christians understand this concept. So so let me explain this one to you a little bit. It's very important that you understand God does have a plan for earth. Like God has a plan, and you are a part of that plan. Like, Like God has this master plan for what he's trying to accomplish, and you have a part to play in that master plan. And so what God does is he groups people together in the bodies that he calls churches. And he has a plan for why he does. It's not unintentional. God groups people together in churches. And I know some people struggle with this. They think, well, I don't need to be in a church to serve God. I've got a Bible. I can pray. I don't. 
But that's not God's plan. God's plan, and I can show you this biblically, is to group you together. Why? Why is it such a big deal for God to group us together? Because God understands that we can do more together than any of us can do on our own. And he doesn't want you to just make a difference. He wants you to leverage your life to make as big a difference as you possibly can. Why do you think the devil attacks your relationship so strongly? Why do you think the devil wants to wound you so bad that you won't join a small group because you don't trust people? The devil had a plan for that a long time ago. He knows that your potential will only be unlocked in community with other believers, that there are things that you will never accomplish when you live your Christian life on your own, that only together can we truly accomplish the potential that God has for us. Now, let me share something with you. And, and again, I want you to hear the sincerity in my heart because there's a point to why I'm sharing this. And it's not, you know, it's not to pat myself on the back. When Amanda and I were invited to lead this church eight years ago, we were invited to kind of give our life to this church, to commit our life to this church, to be in covenant with you, really. We did something that, that first fall, the, really the first legacy offering we had eight years ago. Now, typically, when you're a new pastor at a new church, you don't know how it's going to go. Like, you don't know how long it's going to last. And they tell you, make sure you have an exit strategy. Make sure you have a backup plan because it may not go well. They may not like you. And uh, you may not be there very long. So just be careful. That's what they tell you. And we just said, you know what? We can't pastor the church with that attitude. We can't, we can't, we can't live our life with an exit strategy. We can't live our life with a backup plan. And so that fall, we did something. We we literally emptied our savings account and put it, like our backup plan, we put it into the legacy offering. And we said, listen, we're not, we're not going to live with the backup plan. If it, does, if it doesn't work out, we're in trouble. Like we don't have an exit strategy. Like we're burning the bridges behind us. We're all in. Why? Because we love this church. I tell you right now, this church has done far more for us than we have ever done for this church. Like you're stuck with us. Like, like we're going to pastor this church as long as you have us. Like... I'm telling you right now, I, I only want to be married to one woman, and I only want to pastor one church. That's it for me. And so we're here as long as you will have us. Now, now here's why I tell you this. Every single one of you need that. The reason I tell you, you need that. You need to find a church you feel that way about, and it doesn't have to be our church. There are great churches all over this community, so I'm not saying it has to be here, but for your sake, for your faith, for your Christian journey, you need to find a church that you'll go all in with. You need to find a church you'll be in covenant with. You need to find a church for your sake that you say, I, I will give my all to this thing. I am in covenant with you. God has grouped us together to make a significant difference for the kingdom. And this is why this is so important. David says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord. It doesn't say those who attend a service once a week. Can I just say, and I hope you understand, there, there's, just because you show up and sit in this building once a week, that's not the definition of being planted. Like, I hope you get that. Those who are planted will flourish. There are things in your life that are never going to come out until you're planted. Things that are never going to be accomplished until you're planted. Solomon says it like this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. God realizes when we group together, we leverage our energy, we leverage our ability, and we can accomplish far more for the kingdom than any of us can accomplish on our own. Let me give you two more reasons quickly and then we'll close. We get to give because I really believe in the vision of the church. 
not just the church, globally, I believe in the vision of our church. I get to hear the stories on a regular, I wish you could hear the stories that I hear of the marriages that have been restored in this church, of the people that have found Jesus in this church, the people who, who, who didn't grow up Christian, didn't understand any of this, who for the very first time heard about what Jesus did for them in this church. And those of us in that position, we've got a responsibility to pay it forward, and that's the vision. This is why I believe with all of my heart, the local church is the hope of the world. This is God's plan for us. God didn't create or invent anything else other than the church. He created his bride. And again, I can show you this biblically. Look what Ephesians says. Through followers of Jesus, that's us, that's me and you, those of us that have committed our life to Jesus, through followers of Jesus, like yourselves, look at what it says, gathered in churches. God's plan is to gather us in churches. There are 30 verses in the New Testament alone that you cannot fulfill if you're not committed to a church. God's plan is to gather us in churches where we're planted, this extraordinary plan of God, so that it becomes known here and even talked about amongst the angels. God, God can't accomplish his plan if, if we won't allow him to gather us together, to group us together in churches. We have so much greater impact together. And then here's the last one. We get to give because one day, I want to hear Jesus say, well done. I, I, don't, I don't know what it's going to be like when we, when we get to heaven. Like, like, I can only imagine. And kind of what I think is going to be like this long line of people, and then all of a sudden they're going to call my name, Aaron Jane, and then I get like to come up, and I get my five minutes with Jesus. And, and I'm telling you, in that moment, there, there's going to be a lot of things that I want to say to Jesus because I'm a talker, and that's going to be a problem because Jesus is going to want to do the talking in that moment. <laughs> You know, my wife say I had this bad habit of like talking over her and over people and, you know, because there's just a lot I want to say. And so it's going to be an issue. And I'm going to get up there and, and I'm going to be like, Jesus, man, there's so much I want to tell. I just want to say thank you. You saved me. No one else ever believed in me and you forgave me and you did all this stuff. For... And he's going to be like, no, 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 no. This is my time. <laughs> Zip it. Like, I've got some things that, I don't know, but that's just a, no, 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 no. This is my time. Zip it. And I'm going to be standing there before Jesus. And he's not going to allow me to say anything. And there's going to be so much I want to say. And he's going to look at me and he's going to say, Aaron, I want to thank you. Thank me. No, 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 no. no. Zip it. You took what I gave you. You took all of your talents and all of your abilities. You took your life. You, you, this beautiful wife, this incredible church, you, you took it all. And you did what I asked you to do. All of your talents, all of your abilities, you laid it all down. You, I want to say thank you. I'm so proud of you. Well done. That's what the Bible says he's going to say. Matthew, it says he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. As your pastor, I've got a responsibility to prepare you for that day. Because here's the truth. Every single one of you, your name is going to be called. And you're going to stand before Jesus. And the question is, what are you going to hear him say? See, I've got, got a responsibility to prepare you. And that's why it's so 
critical that we understand the why. We remember the why. We, we think about the why. Because when you lose the why, you lose the way. And here's the why. Let me give you the key. The key to it all, the why, what we've got to think about, what we've got to meditate on, what we've got to remember on a regular basis, it's simply this. There is more to this life than this life. You've got to realize this isn't all there is. There is more to this life than this life. We're only here for a very short time. These are tense. These are temporary. And I know it's hard for us. Here in North County, it is incredibly hard for us. Why? Because we get to live the most enjoyable part of earth. Let's be, let's be very honest right now. We, we live the most comfortable lives and the most enjoyable and the most beautiful part of this entire planet. So it's harder for us to think about this because, because we really don't, like, like we actually enjoy our life. So it's hard for us to realize there's more to life than this life because we enjoy our life so much. There are other people who don't get to enjoy it like we do. So this is tougher for us. I, I'm just going to acknowledge that it's tougher for us. But we've got to get back to this point where we realize there is more to this life than this life, that we will stand before Jesus one day. We will stand, and we're going to hear him say something to us. And you have to decide today what you want to hear him say. You've got to decide today what you want to hear on that day. Would you close your eyes with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, let this message land deep inside of our heart, deep inside of our spirit. God, let us realize that there is more to this life than this life, that we're not living simply for ourselves, but we're living for you. You, you actually, the Bible says, bought us. You purchased us with the price, and that price was your blood on that cross. And so we don't even belong to ourselves. We belong to you. So God, let us live our lives in such a way that honors you. Live our lives in such a way that gives you all of the glory. So that on that day we stand before you, we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to close with one song of worship as we always do. During the song, our prayer team is going to be available. If you're here today and, and maybe you've never given your life to Jesus and something is, is tugging at your heart today, something is saying, like, you need to follow Jesus, you need to give your life to Jesus, come talk to somebody on our prayer team. They'd love to talk to you. Maybe something else is going on in your life. Maybe it's a, a financial challenge or maybe it's a health challenge or a relationship challenge. One of the smartest things you can do is let people pray with you and pray for you. Our team would love to pray for you. They'll be available during the song and after the song. At the end of the song, we will dismiss.